The views expressed on the Own It podcast are that of Gunnar Esiason and his guests, and not necessarily those of the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Nothing in the Own It podcast should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who is experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar Esiason, and his guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to the Own It podcast, presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation. Now, here's Gunnar Esiason. Hello, everyone. I'm Gunnar Esiason, and thanks for joining us for episode 10 of the Own It audio podcast series, presented by the Boomer Esiason Foundation and GunnarEsiason.com. Transplant success with cystic fibrosis is made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Novartis to the Boomer Size Foundation. Today you'll meet Lauren Guidry from Louisiana. She is 27 with cystic fibrosis and six months post-transplant. Uh, as a note, Lauren and I are remaining compliant with the National Cystic Fibrosis Guidelines regarding patient interaction and cross-infection by recording via Skype. Thanks for joining us today, Lauren, and why don't you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Hi, it's good to be here. Like Gunnar said, my name is Lauren Guidry. I'm 27 years old. I underwent a double lung transplant six months ago on May 31st after a long battle with cystic fibrosis. Um, um, Like Gunnar said, I live in Louisiana. I'm married. And two weeks prior to the transplant, I was teaching kindergarten. So that had something to do with the lung transplant. process. <laughs> so it sounds like you've had a little bit of a whirlwind uh, whirlwind year, but we'll get to that. Uh, but let's let's back up here now. Um, when, were you, when were you diagnosed with CF? I was 18 months old. Mm-hmm. Um, and like most p- children with CF, my, nobody, they, back then they didn't know what was wrong with me. They, you know, tons of tests. And it wasn't until um, I was actually going, I had fluid on the brain and it was starting to paralyze my left side before they realized that it was something you know, more serious, and I was diagnosed then. Oh, wow. So that's actually, I've never heard of experience like that before. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so now beyond that, though, what was it like growing up with CF? Honestly, I was pretty a pretty healthy kid until about um, I was 13. I didn't, I didn't have my first round of intravenous antibiotics until I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. So um, it was pretty normal. Um, I, you know, I just, I did what most kids did, and then, when I was 13, I started having regular, um, you know, IV antibiotic treatments. At first, they started out about once a year, and then, you know, as you get older, they increase. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, did your friends know that you have CF grown up? Uh, you know, what was your support group like? They did. My mom, my mom was, was very, is very, you know, um, wants everybody to know, you know, and I kind of had the opposite reaction. My friends knew, but I wasn't real. I was a real big. Um, I didn't tell everybody. I wasn't a, um, I kind of kept it to myself unless people really needed to know. Uh, but my family knew and my family was very supportive as all, you know, they always have been. Yeah. The, the CF family is definitely, you know, I, I look at, I look at my mom specifically and, and just how on top of me she is with, with everything. Even I'm, <laughs> I'm 25 now and she's still, you know, she's still all over me about a lot of the things that I'm doing. Um, exactly. So, so I, can def- I can definitely relate with your experience. Um, it, it doesn't change after transplant either. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, um, now, you know, what was high school like? What was college like? Uh, how, you know, how did your CF um, progress through those years and, uh, you know, your relationships uh, based on, or how were your relationships, be, uh, you know, impact with CF? They, like I said, my, my group of friends knew, um, and, you know, they were very, um, familiar with my treatments and my medicine. Um, when I went to college, 
I met a whole new set of friends and I kind of took the same approach, you know, the ones who absolutely needed to know mm-hmm. I shared with them. Um, the ones who didn't, you know, didn't, I didn't really, um, you know, feel like they needed to know everything. So I was kind of, I kind of kept it to myself a good bit when I was in college, but I never really let CF define what I did or how I did it. I, I, you know, I went, like I said, I, I went to college, I pledged a sorority, I, you know, went to parties. I did, you know, not that it was always the greatest idea, but, um, I never really let it stop me from doing what I needed to do. But when I did get sick, you know, I did, you know, my friends were there and my family, you know, was helping out and, um, it made it easier for sure. Yeah. And I definitely found that my, uh, my college support group was definitely, um, really the backbone of my college experience, uh, especially through the, the more difficult days, uh, being away from home and, and having to deal with being sick and stuff like that. Uh, right. Right. So, so and I, yeah, go ahead. And I, I felt like I got, um, I went through a, like a small, my first year of college, I felt like I was very sick. I got sick a lot, but I think it was just, you know, being around a bunch of people all the time and, you know, your body kind of has to adjust to that. But, um, after the first year, you know, I kind of, I kind of leveled off. It wasn't really until the end of my college career that I started to get sick more often again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, it, w- w- when you were in college, is that when you sort of decided you wanted to go into teaching? I did. Um, at first when I started college, I, I had this bright idea that I wanted to be a nurse, which <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, no, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> and so, um, I kind of, you know, toyed around with different, with different majors. And when I, the first time that I ever, um, stepped foot inside a classroom and was watching this teacher teach this lesson, I just, I was like, this is what I need to be doing. This is what I want to mm-hmm. do. And I loved it. I mean, I still love it. I would go back in a heartbeat if, if I, if I could, but yeah, it's <laughs> not really. Yeah, I hear you. Now, um, so yeah, teaching's a, a you know a incredibly, incredibly uh, great profession. Um, now, did, did you did you recognize that there was going to be an assumed risk uh, working with kids? Um, obviously, during cold and flu season, I, you know, mm-hmm. schools and, and public venues are probably not the best place to be. But um, there's right. definitely something to the aspect of teaching that that is definitely you know calling to a lot of people. Right. And, and I think I took the same approach. Like I took a lot of my, my life that I, you know, I don't want to say it didn't matter to me, but it, it wasn't something that I let stop me. I kind of, I kind of put it almost in a, um, more like spiritual way. Like if this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, then something is going to tell me that I shouldn't be and not, it's not going to be the doctors. It's not going to be my mom. It's going to be, um, you know, whether it's God or, you know, whatever you want to believe in, but, and for really, for the first couple of years of teaching, I was relatively healthy. I kind of, you know, I didn't didn't catch too much. Um, but I think the, you know, the the more progressive my CF got, the easier it was for me to get sick. So it, um, you know, that that changed. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I definitely have a tough time during uh, cold and flu season. It seems like every year I actually I coach high school ice hockey. Uh, mm-hmm. So it seems like every year at the beginning, like as soon as I'm exposed to the kids. You know, yeah. um, I got a cold. I'm, I'm, actually, right. I'm ju- actually just hitting over that cold right now. Yeah. Um, so, well, I, I yes, yeah, so I know it's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely an assumed risk in it. But at the same time, I think it's something that, uh, you know, it's very rewarding to be teaching mm-hmm. and, and working with kids in that, in that respect. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. So now uh, I understand that uh, you actually you came down with the flu because, you know, from, from working at school, right? I did. It was um, May 18th, actually, because I, I know this because my um, my mom's youngest sister was having a baby that day, oh, wow. and I wanted I wanted to go see the baby by all means, you know, 
but I was at school and I wasn't really feeling too good. And I was, you know, and I, but I kind of, you know, sometimes you don't feel good, but it's, it's CF not feeling good. It's not, you know, contagious, not feeling good. So, but I wanted to make sure. So I went to the doctor, went to the family doctor and she was like, well, we're having a late flu season. So I'm going to swab you for the flu to make sure said, okay. So she comes back in about 10 minutes later. She's like, um, you have the flu. And I'm like, no, I was so upset. I was like, well, you, I'm like, I want to go see the baby. And my, the, my kindergartners were graduating the next day. Mm-hmm. So we had a big, we had a big presentation scheduled and, um, the doctor was like, well, sorry, you know, you're going to have to miss all that. So, um, yeah, but it, and it was a late flu season here. And I think there was about, you know, two kids in my class, the week before that were suffering from the flu. And so I know, I mean, I know that's where it came from. <laughs> now, now did your, your, your students know that you had CF or did your, uh, the parents of your students know? Um, not a few of them do. Um, not, it's not something I, I broadcast to the class just because mm-hmm. I, I don't really, I don't want any kind of special treatment or I don't want them to think that, you know, it's going to, impact the way I teach their children or, you know, hinder the way I taught their children. So I didn't really tell them a few, a few of them knew, um, just because of relationships that I had prior to, um, teaching their children or something like that. But no, for the most part, they re- they didn't. It wasn't until after the transplant that they all kind of were like, Oh wow, we had no idea. So now the, the flu obviously progressed and then, you know, what happened from there? Yeah. So I, the flu was, um, on Wednesday, I got diagnosed by Sunday, I w- my husband said I woke up Sunday morning and I told him we have to go to the hospital. I feel I feel worse than I felt on Wednesday. And so he took me. Um, my CF center is in New Orleans at Tulane. So he took me to Tulane to the um, to the emergency room. It just makes things a little bit quicker to get you know mm-hmm. um, treated. So we went there and my doctor was actually the ICU um, on call doc, the doctor that day. So he, he saw me and he, he said, you know, you need to be in the ICU. And this was the first time ever out of all of my hospital stays that I've had to be in the ICU. Um, so they put me in the ICU on Sunday. I stayed there Sunday night. My stats were um, like very low. I mean, my oxygen saturation was in the eighties on oxygen. So they knew that it was, um, <coughs> you know, something wasn't right. So on Monday morning, the doctor said, I really think it's important. I really think you should um, think about being transferred to Oshner to see the, the transplant team there, because this is not something that's really, that's the medicine's going to help. It's, it's just, it's too far progressed for that. So on Monday, um, they transferred me to Oshner. And when they transferred me at this point, they had already intubated me, um, and so I was, I was transferred to Oshner on Monday and by Friday I was on the transplant list, um, waiting for lungs. Mm-hmm. So now, so. you know, the, what, what, what was that news like? What was, you know, you know, what was that conversation like with your, with your, with your CF doctor? Well, actually, honestly, I don't, I don't remember any of this, um, from Sunday when I woke up until waking up from the transplant, I have a very vague memory of things, mm-hmm. um, they think it was oxygen deprivation or in the sedation medication that they were giving me. Um, so honestly, I'm, I don't know exactly how the conversation went with the doctor. I'm sure it went something like, Lauren, I really think you should see the transplant team. And then I probably said, I don't want to, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> but then my husband probably said, Lauren, you really need to. Um, so I don't honestly, I mean, I'm sure it was, 
they said at the time I was I was open to the idea, but I think probably I knew that I was so sick that it was necessary. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, so you were listed on Friday, and then mm-hmm. and, and then what happened? So Friday, it was the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. Um, so the doctor comes in and tells my husband and my, my parents, you know, it's it's Memorial Day weekend. We are gonna have lungs for her by Sunday. And my husband said he was just like, "What? You can't tell us that!" Like, and he's like, "No, I'm telling you, it's it's a it's a holiday weekend. It's it's we're gonna have lungs." So wow. the weekend goes along, the weekend goes by. By this point, my husband has contracted um, shingles, mm-hmm. so he's home on quarantine. Oh man, the whole thing's <laughs> so, apart. Right, right. So um, my my mom and dad stay with me throughout the weekend. They don't get any phone calls. Um, Monday morning, my mom said she's in the room. She can see the doctor in the hallway, and he's like kind of walking around, pacing, and he, he's looking for the nurse. And so she said it's not like him. Normally, he just comes right in, you know, says what he has to say, and then moves along. Well, she said he was waiting and waiting and waiting, and finally he comes in, and he says, "All right, we have lungs." <coughs> and my mom's like, "What?" <laughs> you know, and. So she's like, we're, we're sending our team out right now to go look at them to make sure they're good. Um, he's like, but we, we're going to, I think these are her lungs. So they call Seth, my husband. And so Seth comes up from Thibodeau and comes to the hospital. And sure enough, by the end of the day, about five o'clock, they got official word that the lungs were perfect. They were the right, um, the right blood type, the right, you know, and all that. So, and then Monday night I went into surgery at 10 10 p.m. and I was out of surgery at 5 a.m. Tuesday wow. morning. So it sounds like from from Wednesday when you were diagnosed with the flu at your your family doctor to the time that you went in for surgery, it was what was it? 10, 11 days. 10 days. Yeah, 10 yeah. days. Wow. So that's <laughs> that's actually unbelievable. Now, does, does, it's crazy. Does it, does it sort of seem uh, does it seem surreal to you? It it really does because it's before the transplant. I knew I was sick. I knew I was not feeling my best, but I didn't think I was ready yet. I didn't think I was ready for such a big life changing, you know, thing. And then after the transplant, just waking up, even in the hospital, even, um, you know, in a bed where I still wasn't able to move a whole lot, I knew I felt better. Mm -hmm. And so after I just woke up and I just, you know, the funny thing is when I woke up in ICU after the transplant, I looked at my mom and I said, what's going on? What are we doing here? And she had this like look of dumbfound on her face. She's like, what? (laughs) She's like, you don't know what you're doing here. I'm like, no, why am I in the hospital? And she's like, oh my gosh. She's like, Lauren, you had a lung transplant. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up for this story. Right. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) So now, um, that, that's, you know, I, um, this is a pretty unique way of, of getting a transplant. Typically it's, you know, it's people wait days, weeks, months, and sometimes even years on the waiting list. Uh, you know, it seems like you only, you know, waited a few days, you know, how, how did that impact the rest of your family? You know, I mean, I have to imagine that was a, you know, those, those 10 days must've been unbelievable for, they, for, for, pretty for sure the people they were, closest in your life. Oh, for sure. I'm sure it was, um, nerve wracking and stressful and, um, but you know, honestly, <laughs> this is kind of the way I always, I don't want to say envision the transplant to happen for me, but I was not I'm kind of hard-headed, which I think a lot of people with CF are, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, I never really, I don't think I would have ever sat at the doctor's office and said, okay, you can put me on a list, I'm ready, you know, that kind of thing. I think it had to happen where the, 
the transplant was the only the only option. This is it. You know, there's the medicine's not working anymore. <clears throat> the this is what you need to do. And so, and I'm a very um, fast paced person. You know, I like immediate responses to things. So it worked. This was better for me because I would not have done well if I would have been put on a list and sent home and had to wait for you know weeks, months, you know, for however long it takes. So it, I'm sure for them it was very stressful, but for me I was happy because that's how I, that's kind of how I wanted it to happen yeah I mean you know it sounds like it's definitely worked for you now um for sure. now what were what was the immediate recovery like it was intense um at first you wake up and it's very hazy everything is very um it's all the you know the anesthesia and the sedation and um there was a, a the whole time I was in ICU um now I was intubated for six days before the transplant. So my body was so weak. My muscles had atrophied. I couldn't really, um, I wasn't moving my body. I couldn't move on my own. I had somebody had to help me do pretty much everything. Um, but once I started, once I was able to move and kind of move myself around, the recovery was a lot easier. Um, I don't want to say that there wasn't a whole lot of pain. I mean, there was pain. I mean, I was on pain medicine, but I would think I was expecting it to be more than it was. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, more the the not being able to move myself and the not being able to do things for myself that was harder for me than the than the pain necessarily. Yes, yeah, from people that I've talked to, it sounds like this is a pretty you know, everyone sort of deals with their own way and has their own mm -hmm. you know their own little experience with it. So, um, man, I mean, this is, this sounds like it's just you know a, you know one of those wild things. So uh, it was wild. <laughs> so now, so now, so what are you doing now? Now I am. Well, I'm actually back in school. I'm working on my master's online. Um, I'm trying, the doctor has released me to go back to work, but not to teaching. <laughs> so I'm kind of, um, looking for, I'm in job hunting, looking for a job because I'm just, I'm, I've never been somebody who could sit home and just do nothing. You know, even before the transplant, the doctor has said, you know, Lauren, you can go on disability if you want, you know, you can, you know, you don't have to work. You don't have to go and, you know, stress your body out. And, but I, ha but I just, I needed to, I needed to something to do. So it's, a, it's kind of a struggle now because I have so much energy and I have so much, um, drive to do things now for me to sit home. It's really difficult. <laughs> yeah, did you miss teaching? I do. I yeah. miss it a lot. I miss, I miss the kids a lot. Um, and I'm, and I mean, I miss the, the family that I had there. But I mean, I know that it's 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 for my own best interest to not go back. So I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think I'm being led down different paths. So I think it, it'll be a good a good alternative. Yeah. No. I mean, I think uh, you know, it, it, like like we always say, you know, challenges come at us in, in different ways, uh, big or small, and and we have to adapt to to what those challenges present and and figure out ways to overcome them. So sure. um you know it, it sounds like you know, you've, you've taken a major step uh, in the right direction here um as far as um unfortunately you know putting teaching in the rearview mirror but um right. you know you know where do you sort of see yourself going? You know I, obviously with transplant comes a second chance at life and a lot of times we always say that uh, you know to honor the donor or mm -hmm. um to honor the donor's family, you know, you, you gotta, you know, you have to, you know, make them proud. For sure. And I, that's kind of what I, I think about every day when I, um, you know, when I email a different person about, you know, speaking about, about organ donation or, I, um, you know, I, I make contact with somebody else about a job. I, I want, 
that donor family to know that the choice that they made is going to is not going to be wasted on you know on me i'm going to make sure that these lungs are being put to the best use possible and so you know that's just kind of what i'm doing i'm i'm putting my feelers out i'm contacting people i'm making myself available mm-hmm. to those you know who might you know need my story or, or want to hear my story or you know need to talk to somebody about it because i know you know i struggled with the with transplant talk before the transplant was necessary. And I know that I'm not the only one out there. I know that there's somebody who goes into the clinic every day and their doctor says, I the only think you should think about a transplant and they want to, they don't want to, you know, and they want to hear a success story. Cause that was always my, um, my biggest struggle with it was all the transplant stories that I had heard. They didn't have a good ending. You know, they didn't have a, a success. And so I, that always worried me. Well, what happens if I go into the into the surgery and I don't wake up? Or what happens if I have the transplant and there's all these complications and I never really get to reap the benefits of the transplant? And so I want, you know, I feel like I want people to know that it there is a there is a good outcome. It can happen and that's kind of where I see myself going. I want to be an advocate for those people because I think that they need it. Well, you're certainly doing a great job of it, and, uh, and I, I agree with you. You know, the world of what if is a very dangerous place. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a dangerous rabbit hole to start going down. Um, sure. So, no, you know, I think, uh, you know, what you're trying to do and, and, and the way you're um, you're holding your story and the way, you, you know, you, you want your story out there is, is really fantastic, and it's, it's something that I hope people can, uh, you know, can find inspiration in because, you know, I think, uh, you know, I certainly have, and I, I know my colleagues have as well. Um, so, but uh, we're, we're almost towards the end here. Um, awesome. you, you know, how, how is your health now? It's great. I mean, honestly, um, like I said, it's like I woke up as a new person. I, um, you know, I used to wake up and I was before the transplant, I was on oxygen, um, a good bit. And it's, it's so strange to not have that anymore and to wake up every day and not have to cough and, you know, just, um, it's just, it's, it's really amazing. You know, it's my lung functions, before the transplant, they anticipated um, when I went into the emergency room that day that they were between 12 and 17 percent. And um, the other about a month ago when I was at the doctor, they were at 74. So um, and I, I honestly 74 might not sound like amazing, but to me, I haven't seen that number in, oh, I don't know, very, a long time. So <laughs> I'm very happy with my um my 74 six months post transplant. Oh, that's fantastic news. Um, yeah. now, now, do you have anything you want to say to, to people that might be considering transplant or um, people who may be going through the same process that, uh, that you went through? I would say to listen to your doctor and take in all the information that they're giving you because, you know, and, and it's okay to not want to hear it and it's okay to not want to agree with it, but it's important to understand where they're coming from that they're, you know, they just have your best interests at heart and, Listen to your body. Um, I think it's important. I mean, you know your body more than anyone. And I think it's important for you to take those signs. You know, if you're on oxygen, when that oxygen's, you know, when you're needing that all the time and when you're, you know, you feel like the medicine is not working and you're sick all the time, you know, I think that's important. My um, my CF doctor once told me, um, you know, Lauren, there's going to come a time when you're going to be tired of, you're going to tire, be tired of, being sick more than you're being you're well and that was a like a kind of like a light bulb for me because I had gotten to that point I was I was sick so much 
more than I was well. And that's what, you know, I look back on now thinking, oh, God, you know, why didn't I listen to myself? Why didn't I listen to my body? Because it was screaming, you know, that it was time. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thanks for joining us, Lauren. Uh, really a fa- fantastic story. Uh, I'm happy Thank we can you. share it with our listeners. Um, and, uh, the, the, you know, this is uh, all time we have for today, unfortunately. Uh, but if you want to hear this podcast about something specific, you can always send me an email, gunnersblog at esiason.org. And you can follow the Onit Audio podcast series on gunnersiason.com or esiason.org. Uh, this is Gunnar Esiason signing off. You've been listening to Gunnar Esiason's Onit podcast. If you would like more information on cystic fibrosis or the Boomer Esiason Foundation, please visit our website at www.esiason.org.